0: You guys, I can't fucking wait to see that
1: movie. Yes, I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair.
2: And I'm Edison. And this week we are bringing you a very special feature.
1: Oh,
0: yes! yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch
1: this movie again.
0: It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby.
1: I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win. This oh picture. God, I know. That-
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> a one, a two, you know what to do.
1: Welcome to Talk Movie To Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our week in entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair.
2: And I'm Edison. And this week we're going back to a sweltering day in Chicago in 1927. The sweat is so thick on our brow and bosom that we're glowing brighter (laughs) than an influencer gone wild with their body luminizer. All we need is an ice cold Coca-Cola and for everyone around us to just do what the fuck they're told to do. Because there's only room for one star in this room, and that's legendary Mother of the Blues, Ma Rainey. This week's film is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, based off the 1982 play written by August Wilson. Here, adapted by Ruben Santiago Hudson and directed by George C. Wolfe. Viola Davis plays Ma Rainey, and Chadwick Boseman, in his final film role, plays the tragic character Levy. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom asks a question... What is the toll it takes on black musicians as they navigate the power struggles within the white structure of the music industry?
1: Hmm.
2: Helen, first impression.
1: So I was actually able to sit in on a QA and a for this movie before I watched the movie. And one of the people so at the Q&A <laughs> was costume designer Anne Roth. And she talked at length about the wardrobe for the film mm-hmm. and specifically that first scene. In the tent with all the people watching Ma Rainey and about how the hats on the people in the audience and how you know they're dressing as nice as they can even though they're poor and goes into depth about the wardrobe and so that was sort of the first thing I clocked in that scene was okay I'm like noticing the audience members wardrobe I'm noticing Ma Rainey's wardrobe and then my second impression was I couldn't help but think of Queen Latifah as Matron Mama Morton in Chicago singing When You're Good to Mama. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the same time period. That's all I could think of when I was watching that. I was like, oh my god. And I (laughs) I really wanted to watch Chicago. (laughs) So yes, that was my first impression. How about you, Edison?
2: So yeah, it opens with those two people running through the woods, right? It's Mm -hmm. night. We hear the dogs barking. We have seen this scene play out Mm. before in films countless times so we know that these are two black people running probably they're being chased by some white people and it's going to end in a horrifying way and then nope (laughs) turns out they just don't want to be late for the ma concert yeah and i love that like flip of expectations right from thinking we're about to see this like black suffering and instead seeing this scene that is a celebration of blues and black art and music and i love that and Viola Davis just burns right through the screen. This is a really strong first impression of her as this character. So much magnetism. I, I like I loved how this movie opened. Sinclair, how about you?
0: I agree. I also loved this opening. It's sweaty, it's atmospheric. (laughs) I'm immediately entranced with this vaudevillian style performance. Mm -hmm. Mm. Viola Davis is just a bluesy queen in that dress. So Helen, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I Mm -hmm. also noticed that right away and I Mm. loved (laughs) it so, so much. Ma Rainey is commanding. She's grabbing our attention and pulling us into this world right off the bat. Really, really like this opening.
2: Did you not also feel just absolutely desperate to be at a music venue again?
0: <laughs> I know it's so weird seeing people together.
2: <laughs> I would do anything <laughs> yeah, to have yeah. to bump into other people's sweat right now.
1: <laughs> and see live music,
0: yeah. See there was just nothing like live music. Nothing like, like no. music. Uh, nothing To like
1: be it. at a concert, have someone spill their drink on me oh, or something. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, well, why don't we get into some storytelling?
2: hmm Mm-hmm. Okay, so Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is part of August Wilson's series known as The the American Century Cycle. And it's a series of ten plays that is all telling the stories of African-American life throughout different decades. What's really interesting to me, what I found out really interesting was that after August Wilson died in 2005, his estate entrusted Denzel Washington to yeah. have to have the rights to bring all of these plays to life. So, wow. yeah, so we saw this in Fences already. Uh, which we did Mm -hmm. not like. So I'm actually really interested. (laughs) But And he and Viola Davis were both in that. But yeah, so Mm -hmm. this is the second of these projects. Yeah, an an adaptation of this play. So how did we feel about that?
0: Well, I actually watched this movie twice because Mm -hmm. I tend to struggle with play to film when the movie still feels like it's being done in the style of a play. Mm -hmm. This Mm -hmm. is very much so theatrical It doesn't feel like it ventured too far from the play. And I had the same experience uh, watching August Osage County and also Fences, Mm -hmm. which you just mentioned. So my first pass with Ma Rainey, I found that a lot of the themes and dialogue and the emotional impact was a bit lost on me because of the ping pong back and forth dialogue, which generally I'm okay with Mm -hmm. when I'm watching a play, but not so much when I'm watching a film. Mm -hmm. And I think that has a lot to do with, when you're watching a play, you feel more immersed, it's more intimate, and with a film, there's a separation there. For me, I become very aware that it's not real, and then it does start to feel a bit performative. Yeah. For Mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm.
2: How did you feel the second time though?
0: so the second time i tried to really slow down the watch i paused it a lot i would stop and i would kind of let the dialogue sink in Mm. and try to really get into the themes of the film but Mm -hmm. that was my second pass at the film Mm. for sure
1: yeah i had a very similar experience i also watched this twice or i was in the midst of watching it a second time right before we started recording Mm, interesting for for a very similar reason it is it does feel very much like a stage play like you said Sinclair I mean plays can be very insular Mm -hmm. you don't have the benefit of the camera and multiple settings you know all of those these other devices that we use to tell stories so that is why the dialogue can be so heavy sometimes and there's Mm -hmm. so much information Mm -hmm. that needs to be digested the thing that i didn't like so much about this adaptation is i felt like they leaned into the fact that it was a play like this still felt like a play in the sets Mm -hmm. in the sound effects Mm -hmm. like it felt fake it felt very fake. I was kind of yearning for, like, maybe some more handheld movement with the camera, like something to make it feel cinematic. Cinematic, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to give you the intimate feeling that you get when you go to theater that mm-hmm. you can't possibly get from film in the same way.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: that was something that I wanted from this that I didn't get. And in that sense, I wasn't crazy about how it was adapted.
0: Yeah, I think that this did fall into the trap of telling instead of showing because there wasn't really any room for nuance when it's so mm-hmm. close to the play and it can start to make the symbolism feel a really heavy handed without yeah. having those moments to breathe. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: it didn't bother me in this one. It's interesting because one, I think we all shared that critique offenses if you're going to choose to adapt a play to the film, then adapt it to make the best use of that new medium, film. Yes. Right? Do it in a way that's cinematic, invent it in a different way. But I, it didn't bother me with this one, maybe because I was expecting it. Right. It was very intentional. They just wanted to really celebrate the words of August Wilson. Yes, they could have found a way to do this cinematically while still achieving that tribute. But... Mm-hmm. I don't think they wanted to. They wanted to tell it this way. That's a a very deliberate choice. And it might not work, but it it did actually for me this time.
0: So I agree with that because I think that that is how it actually makes sense in terms of the choices that were made. Mm -hmm. Because August Wilson... Is such a very important figure in Black culture. I mean, he was referred to as
2: um, the Black Shakespeare. Yeah,
0: yeah, like the, the you know. Yeah. So it, his work is it's poetry, and it's been mm-hmm. really crucial in portraying the Black experience, much like Mulrainey's music was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. while I was watching the film, I felt that. Man, it must be so hard to adapt his work because it is so precious Mm -hmm. and you don't Mm want to veer too far from his work. You still want to honor it. But at the same time, there does need to be these little adjustments. So it's really hard in this scenario to do this original source material justice. And also a big part of this whole story is how Black artists have had to compromise their art for the masses. Exactly. And we have this this film (laughs) coming to fruition as a Netflix original, so you can't get Mm. much more of a mass audience (laughs) (laughs) than Mm. that. So I do think it's hard to keep the play's original in integrity.
2: So this is a a story that is really 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 dense with themes right Right. the theme that i found the most interesting i'm not familiar with this play i've never seen the play i had never read the play yeah me neither so what came out in this is i really like the the clash between old and new right they talk Mm. about the great migration in this this is this historic movement of the black population out of the south to the northern mm-hmm. cities, right? This promise of opportunity to be able to yeah. live the American dream in an area that's free from the Jim Crow laws and all the rest of the shit that they had to endure there. It also represents a movement from this old to the new, right? Old living mm-hmm. on these southern farms to these industrial cities. And we see this throughout the play with the different relationships between Ma Rainey who represents the old and levy who represents the new and the conflict that they have Mm -hmm. even the way that it's set and staged where you have the like old school kind of band downstairs and the like new electronic recording upstairs and those worlds never Mm -hmm. collide the white people never go into that room it's really interesting Mm. to have that and i thought that was just so cool as a theme, that clash of old and new. And like, how do you, there's always conflict there. We're experiencing yeah, it right, right. now <laughs> in yeah. the current political climate in a really dramatic way. I just think in a way, this story is perfectly timely for right now in terms of that theme and that commentary as well.
1: Yeah, to kind of riff off of that, I really enjoyed the exploration of the theme of Black people criticizing other Black people for how they behave towards white people yeah Mm -hmm. that is a dynamic that i mean i've obviously never personally experienced as i'm a white person but i don't know if i've seen it that often in the tv shows and movies that i've watched of this clash amongst the black community Mm -hmm. and you know toledo at one point says what's the colored man gonna do to make life better for the colored man hmm And that's something that he is so adamant about, whereas Levy is kind of more survival of the fittest. I'm going to bring myself up. I have my own reasons for doing what I do for saying sir to this white man. Mm -hmm. And that's my way. Right. Mm -hmm. And and then just sort of the bigger concept of look at how racism and the treatment of black people has caused A rift even with amongst their own community Mm. like it's just there's so many repercussions obviously Mm -hmm. I I thought that that was very interesting
0: yeah that was one of the biggest takeaways for me as well and and I appreciated Mm -hmm. that about this story it also explores the complex relationships and tensions between these black characters while Mm -hmm. they're trying to navigate their way through this really fucked up system and, exactly. Yeah, this this tensions created because they're backed into such a corner They're forced to compete with each other because they're in a business right. that doesn't provide a lot of space for them And you know that whole theme about don't step on my shoes Levy mm-hmm. feels like he needs to s- step on Ma Rainey's shoes to move up in this business And Ma Rainey mm-hmm. doesn't want Levy stepping on her shoes because she's worked so hard to carve her place and gain some sort of control so mm-hmm. It's a system that pits these two artists against each other. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a good quote by the director, George C. Wolfe. He said in an interview, in the south black people could create and nurture and support themselves and their own communities Mm -hmm. when they came north if they wanted to achieve anything they had to come into contact with the white power structure and by virtue of coming into contact with the white power structure their power was in essence nullified
2: right so yeah and that's the frustration of levy right because he Mm -hmm. he represents this idea of the future he wants what is promised to him like, if he has talent and drive and this American dream should be available for him, it was literally promised to them.
0: I have to say this story really left me with the feeling of wanting to see more of Ma Rainey. I wrote down the exact same thing. (laughs) She was just really fascinating and I feel like this story tackles so many big themes that are really important but at the same time it does take away from the more personal side of Marini's story and allowing us to focus on her more. Yeah, this play was written in 1982 and I think in 2021 I personally want to see movies focused more on these fascinating women and not Mm. have them just be the catalyst that shows us the story of a male character. And I Mm. don't feel like that was the intention of this story. I think that there are issues and a problematic history that's being funneled through these characters in this story and that was the goal it's more of a representation of these issues than it is about like male female but mm. at the same mm-hmm. time there's something that is more noticeable in 2021 when you watch it that we just <laughs> want more stories where the female characters they can be fascinating and just be the yeah. focus
1: especially right. black women yeah oh my god yeah. like the fact that she's a black woman in the 1920s in Chicago and she goes into this recording studio and just takes complete control and is able to demand what she wants and get what she mm-hmm. wants is kind of mind-blowing to me. And she's bisexual too. That's such an interesting story. Like, that's the story I really want to see.
2: I mean, that that's the bit too where I was like, okay, this is so 1982. Like, in <laughs> yeah. this film, that was not... We don't know that she's bisexual. Her, her only interaction of any kind of sexual whatever is with another woman.
3: The
1: only reason... I know that is because Viola Davis said it in the Q&A.
2: Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. As far as the film presents us, she's a lesbian or at least queer in some capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, a queer, black, female, powerful <laughs> jazz musician in 1927. Yes, that's a, an incredible story. We want more of her. Yeah. That's not what the play is, though. So in staying yeah. true right. to the play for and the words of August Wilson for this adaptation, that is not that story. It's called Ma Rainey's mm-hmm. Black Bottom because it's her version of Black Bottom that they're going to be doing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, versus mm-hmm. Levy's. But it's a story Mm -hmm. of all of them and their dynamic with each other. And I think Levy is kind of the protagonist, even though she is the like bigger Mm -hmm. kind of presence.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it is, yes, her art and her trying to control her image and her work. But yeah, it does apply to basically any Black artist that's trying to keep their integrity and keep their art representing the black experience like she was the mother of the blues and the producer Mm -hmm. says to her you know let's go with levy's version because that's what people want (sighs) it's exciting it it makes people forget about their troubles and Mm -hmm. maurini doesn't want people to forget their troubles and Mm -hmm. these black stories Mm -hmm. the blues is about struggles (laughs) right Mm -hmm. exactly so and makes what
2: people forget about their troubles
0: exactly yeah
2: right yeah Why don't we get into performances? Because this film is, especially as adapted from a play, it is about that, right? So let's start with Ma Rainey, Viola Davis. I remember years ago, I I went to this, I attended a Larry Moss workshop. He's an acting coach when I was out in Vancouver, Mm -hmm. years ago. And I watched two actors do this scene. And I can't remember the name of the play, but she was meant to be a jazz singer around this time. And she was going into an office of a detective's office. And the note that he gave her after the scene was, you need more power. You have to understand that Mm -hmm. for you to get to this position where you are right now of being a successful black female musician at this time, you will have had to overcome an almost incomprehensible amount of bullshit. So you will take exactly none. And you have to yeah. own everything. When you walk into that room, you have to own that room. If you touch the mm-hmm. chair, the chair becomes your chair. If you look mm-hmm. at the wall, that wall becomes your wall. And I that just played over and over in my head when I was watching Viola Davis because I was like, she owns everything <laughs> like mm-hmm. that yeah. she touches, looks at, exists with in this film. That character is like, it's all mine. And fuck you.
1: Yeah. yeah. Her presence is incredible in this movie. Something, again, that, She touched on it in this Q&A was one, that there's a very limited amount of actual pictures of Ma Rainey. I think she said there's only six or eight pictures of her. Wow. Yeah. But everything that she could find about her, the number one thing that everyone said was she was incredibly ugly. Oh, wow. She was just so, so ugly and so, so sweaty. There's a really fascinating thing I think that she's doing because it's almost like She's taking all of that energy and owning it. Yeah, it becomes a point of defiance. Yeah, yeah. And I really felt that from her watching this. Yeah.
0: I thought she was amazing. It was her movements. She fully embodied this character. Her movements were so spot on. She had this slow way of moving and speaking and this attitude of being wise but quite jaded she really did embody the idea of this woman who knows their talent and Mm -hmm. thinks this is my show i have ownership over me you can't take that away from me Mm -hmm. the only thing i found was the lip-syncing i found a bit distracting
3: Mm -hmm. Maybe because
0: we're getting a bit spoiled with actors actually singing now in film. I'm not sure. Right. (laughs) I haven't seen the play. I would assume that the actress would sing in the play. Yeah. Live. That I don't know. But I mean, that was one thing where I was very aware. It takes you out of it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is Chadwick Boseman's last role on film. And he plays Levy. What did you think of Chadwick's performance?
1: I mean, you can't watch this and not know that. (laughs) I know. And not be taking it in while you're watching him. Mm. My first thought was you can just tell how much he loves to act. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it really warmed my heart. Like, I'm watching him give this incredible performance. He, to me, looked noticeably quite thin. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm watching this. I'm like, this man was dying, battling cancer. And he gives this performance and I just, all I could think was you, he just loves to act and it shows Ugh. like, and he's so good.
2: Yeah. I just thought it was absolutely wonderful. Yes. It's his final performance and there will be a lot of attention for that. And mm-hmm. he will probably get the Oscar as a tribute yeah. as well. But fuck mm-hmm. me. This is an incredible performance. I thought it was yeah. really amazing. That monologue you know when they're making fun of him and they say oh yeah. he's spooked up by the white man hasn't had time to study them and then he launches into that monologue that horrific story about watching mm-hmm. his mother being raped and then at the end he says leave levy alone when it comes to the white man yeah. it was masterful uh, talk about eye acting helen <laughs> like, <I know. laughs> and just every muscle in his body was so attuned to that performance like i just thought it was amazing i thought he was really amazing
0: yeah, I thought he was he was great. It's really bittersweet watching mm-hmm. him in this for sure. I think also he would have been really electric to see on stage. Oh, yeah. yeah. There was a certain mischief and energy mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I hadn't seen from him before. And I, I did love the moments where he would have this mischievous look in his eye while yes. playing the trumpet. Yes. Yeah. I would say the only real complaint that I would have is... This isn't any fault to the actors. It's more of how this was shot. There were Mm -hmm. moments where, yes, it did feel very performative, like a play. Especially the monologue moments. As powerful as the monologue is, I do think that shooting it this way does take you out of it a little bit. Especially because... There are moments where he turns, where it looks like he is speaking to the an audience. audience, and you can al- right. almost just picture the spotlight on him. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah. I am turning and I am monologuing now,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: I think that that does take the attention away a, a little bit.
2: It didn't for me, but I can, uh, but I can appreciate that as being a yeah. thing. I think it will yeah. for some.
0: But I think he just he did a really great job with this tragic character because levy really is such a tragic character and it's a role where you have to really be able to bring that sort of optimistic energy to it and then also be able to switch to disappointment and to anger by the end of it to the point where you do something that essentially ruins your life so Mm -hmm. he has such a character switch in this his frustrations come to a boiling point when you know his shoes are stepped on Mm -hmm. because his dreams are being stepped on essentially Mm -hmm. you know don't step on my shoes Mm -hmm. don't step on my dreams it does end in tragedy for him so it's a huge character swing
2: all right so what's the last word on ma rainey's black bottom helen
1: well this is a very accessible film it's on netflix and i don't know if i know anyone that doesn't have netflix to be honest (laughs) i think that viola davis and chadwick boseman are both gonna get Oscar nominations. I think that Anne Roth is probably going to get an Oscar nomination for wardrobe. And there are some really wonderful performances in this film. So I would check it out. Eddie?
2: Yeah, I think this is definitely one to watch this year. I really, really enjoyed it. I loved it for the music. I loved it for the visuals. And I really loved it for the performance. This is Chadwick Boseman's last performance on film and Mm. kind of like Levy, it's like he's someone just on the the brink Mm. of the most exciting career and it's really fucking tragic that we've lost him.
1: Oh, that's so sad.
2: But we'll always have this performance and his other ones, but I do think this is a film that everyone should watch. I thought it was great. Mm. How about you, Sinclair?
0: Last word for me, yes. Although I think that there are really admirable performances in this and some really, really important themes, I do think that this film could have been better adapted at the end of the day. I think that this adaptation did weaken its impact slightly. Mm. But this is a really important story, and Ma Rainey is just so fascinating. And I'm sure mm. this will really s- spark a demand for a story solely focused on her i think that would be really amazing so me too let's hope for that
2: each week we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme this week's theme is i've got the blues this is our week in entertainment (laughs) sinclair you almost spit out your drink
0: yeah (laughs) it was so sultry
2: i know (laughs) 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 <laughs> Helen, what film did you watch? I don't know. I don't know what either of you picked. I'm really excited.
1: So my film is Blue Ruin from 2013, written mm. and directed by Jeremy Saulnier, starring Macon Flair. Blue Ruin is a revenge story which follows Dwight, a vagabond who finds out the man who murdered his parents is being released from prison. This sends him on a haphazard mission to avenge their deaths. I found out about this movie years ago from my old hairdresser who used to give me really crazy fun movie suggestions and the thing that he really liked about this movie was that it's this regular guy that decides to go on this you know revenge mission that could be a john wick kind of story but it's not you know it's a regular guy (laughs) he's just a very regular guy and there's a scene that happens towards the beginning where he steals a gun and then realizes there's a lock on the gun and is like oh what the fuck am i gonna do takes it to these rocks, tries to smash the lock off, and ends up breaking the gun has to throw the gun away. And that was the thing that Steve, my hairdresser, said. He's like, I just love that. He's like, that's what would happen. If you were a regular guy that's never shot a gun before and you get this gun with a lock on it, what are you going to do? That is a good introduction to somebody who hasn't seen this film of kind of what you're getting into. Have you both seen it? Yes.
2: I have seen it, yeah.
1: Pure carnage. Pure carnage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is some of my favorite type of filmmaking. It's simple, it's so efficiently executed. This was actually funded through Kickstarter.
2: Oh wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, and the budget was uh, $420,000, so very low budget film. You know, right off the bat, the character of Dwight is established with just a few telling scenes with little to no dialogue. And so much of this story is told through Macon Blair's acting. Like I said, you know, this is just a regular guy going on this mission. There is absolutely nothing Hollywood about this movie Mm -hmm. at all.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: Writer-director Jeremy Saulnier and Macon Blair were friends growing up who always dreamed about being filmmakers, then ended up having families and kind of realizing maybe this isn't ever going to happen for us. Let's just make one last film. And this was the one last film that they decided to make. It wasn't their one last film, Mm -hmm. but they thought it was going to be. And Jeremy says in an interview, it was just about grounding the film in a very mundane scenario that needed so little exposition. Mm -hmm. And that is what I just love so much about this movie and about these types of movies is they're so lived in. The character of Dwight is so lived in. You know exactly where this guy's at and how he's feeling and how desperate he is. Now, to talk about the theme of this week's Owie, which is I've got the blues. This title has the word blue in it. Blue ruin. (laughs) Listen, Dwight, it's got the blues. (laughs) Yeah. Or the reds even. He's he's got the reds. He is like an angry, (laughs) yeah, angry dude. I didn't know this until watching it this time around that the car that he lives in slash drives is this beat up, riddled with bullet holes, rusty old blue Pontiac. And that's why the film is called Blue Ruin, because it's this ruined blue yes. car. Yeah. An additional thing I found out is you discover about three quarters of the way through the film that his parents were murdered in a car. They were shot. And the director did say in, in an interview that this is actually the car.
3: Mm. Oh.
1: Um, so mm. just, Yeah. <laughs> an added, added level of, of significance mm. to the title and to this car. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend Blue Ruin. And I was really happy to be able to give it a rewatch for this segment. Nice. Okay, Edison, what was your pick?
2: All right, so my pick this week for I've Got the Blues is a bit on the nose. But where (laughs) we have Ma Rainey as our main segment film, I really thought this was a great opportunity for me to watch a movie that I'd actually somehow never seen up until this point. And that Mm. is Lady Sings the Blues from 1972.
0: This has been on my watch list.
2: It has been on mine too forever and I just never, I don't know how I never watched it, but I didn't. Um, so, Lady Sings of Blues is directed by Sydney J. Fury and stars Diana Ross as legendary jazz vocalist Billie Holiday. I, like most people who listen to music from this era, am a big fan of Billie Holiday. I knew that she had lived a life that was like full of hardship. I mean, you only have to listen to her, the pain in her voice to know mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. and that she battled drug addiction. But I honestly didn't really know that much else about her life. So I was hoping that this film would like shine a light on the life of this icon. Mm. But mostly this film is just a stereotypical broad strokes portrait of like the mm. full life of this talented artist who endures endless suffering and then succumb to the demons of addiction. They went for all of the lowlights. Like they went for the darkest oh, okay. bits. The, it, they really dive into the drug addiction. It's just that that overshadows every single moment. And we really don't see any of the moments mm. of joy in Billie Holiday's life. So mm. it doesn't feel okay. like a complete picture. And mm. from reading reviews afterwards, apparently the film just took giant liberties with regards to the facts of Billy's life as well. So oh. I didn't actually like learn anything about it. Nonetheless, Lady Sings the Blues was nominated for five Oscars, including one for Diana Ross as Best Actress. And what I will say is, holy actual shit, she is incredible (laughs) in this. Mm, At the beginning, she looks so young, like this scrawny, naive, sort of like wobbling around like a little fawn. She has these enormous Mm -hmm. eyes that are so expressive. And she is a fucking... Star, a superstar. It is insane how brightly she shines in this film. I love Diana Ross, of course, but I have never seen her act before. I don't know why she didn't make a ton of films after this. She's like incredible mm. in this. There's this one scene, she gets this gig singing at a club where all the singers have to go around lifting up their skirts to pick up the cash tips with their thighs off the tables, okay? <laughs> really, really debasing with their and thighs? awful.
1: thighs? Wow. That seems really difficult. Yeah. I know
2: and she's singing the song (laughs) the man i love and it's just breathtaking the performance she's in this like red dress it's jaw-dropping beautiful she can't bring herself to pick up the money this way she keeps trying but she just can't do it and the crowd her, and it's awful but diana ross Mm. is magnificent in this scene and like in every scene in this movie but yeah this movie is worth a watch it's definitely worth a watch just for diana ross Billy Holiday has an incredibly distinctive voice and so does Diana Ross and Diana Ross does all of the singing, mm. but she's never tries to imitate Billy Holiday's mm. voice. Really, really incredible. So yeah, it's one to watch. I would say watch it, Sinclair, if it's on your list. So the movie was just okay, but the performance mm. is incredible and it, it actually does make it worth seeing the movie, yeah. Mm. What did you pick, Sinclair?
0: I watched a movie called Mood Indigo. From 2013. It's directed by Michelle Gondry. And it's starring Romaine Duris and quite possibly the most beautiful, whimsical dream creature that ever existed, Audrey Tattoo. <laughs> yes, oh, <she> yeah. Oh <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable, truly. She's just so beautiful. I can't. I I can't. Quick synopsis via IMDB. Get ready for this. <laughs> wealthy, inventive bachelor Colin endeavors to find a cure for his lover Chloe after she's diagnosed with an unusual illness caused by a flower growing in her lungs.
3: Wow. Yeah, that sounds like Michel
0: yeah. Gondry. <laughs> this film is, yes, you guessed it, very heavy, heavy, heavy in surrealism. Uh-huh. It's mm-hmm. Michel Gondry, so it's definitely a visual feast. I chose this because indigo is this beautiful, bluish purple color. So I thought that that fit. There's also some really striking imagery in this film that uses this color to just represent the mood. So, mm. Mood Indigo is a Duke Ellington song. Yes, and Duke Ellington is. was a very famous American jazz musician. And mm-hmm. this song is featured in the film and it's very appropriate. It's very lovely and very bluesy. The color indigo actually represents our deepest thoughts and our spiritual wisdom, Mm. which I thought was really lovely. However, my main complaint about this film was that it never reached the depths that it should have. (laughs) Okay. Ironically. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so basically Colin meets Chloe, played by... Audrey Tattoo, and they (laughs) fall in love. Obviously, because it's Audrey Tattoo. How do you not? (laughs) Yeah, this is a love story at its heart. But this film is very heavy in surrealism. I don't know if I mentioned that heavy, (laughs) heavy surrealism. For example, like a character can be talking and their legs suddenly stretch up to the ceiling, or they're on a date and they're skating, and then oh, suddenly there is a Zamboni monster. Eating people. Uh, Just like stuff like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Or like they're having a date, and oh, they're in a cloud car. (laughs) Just. Okay. Just things like that, where all this crazy stuff huh. is happening. How but much
2: acid does Michelle Gondry take? So on much the regular? acid.
0: So much acid. And it's always funny with magical realism stuff because the stuff is happening, yeah. but it's it's weird to us, but it's not weird to the characters. It's just it's wonderfully inventive and creative. These visuals. The problem here is that there isn't a coherent story, so you end up feeling like you're watching a very long music video.
2: Mm, which makes sense with Michelle Gondry too which
0: makes sense and it's funny you say that because I actually did go down a rabbit hole of Michelle Gondry music videos
2: (laughs) which are all like Bjork
0: (laughs) which are all Bjork and it's so funny I know he because he was such a prolific music video director in the 90s and some of his music videos for Bjork specifically are so amazing they're just some of her best Mm -hmm. and her most artistic and and wonderful and Then he also did Foo Fighters Everlong which is Mm -hmm. such an amazing music video and Daft Punk around the world Mm
3: -hmm.
0: there's just so many good ones but they work as music videos when you get him directing the writing of Charlie Kaufman like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind it really works because that writing has depth it has incredible philosophy and a lot more exploration of the human condition to really support these fantastical elements. Mm-hmm. This one didn't have that. So it's definitely whimsy and then it takes this cold hard turn by the end. It becomes mm. super dark, super melancholic. Yeah, like I mean the character's dying by the end, but at this point you're so exhausted by the visuals that you're <laughs> not able to really take in the melancholy of the film at the end. You're too tired to care. Mood Indigo, it's it's a really inventive film visually. But overall, it just doesn't deliver the depths that it should considering Mm. what it's about. It really is a lovely jazz song too. It is. It's a mood and you know, I've been into that lately. (laughs) (laughs) Things that are just a mood. So- Mood Indigo is a mood. (laughs) Mood Indigo is a mood for sure, yeah. So now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. So join us while we marvel at the career of an American beauty whose sultry voice Mm. and infectious energy has captured the hearts of audiences since the early 90s her repertoire holds some of the most entertaining and memorable performances of the last 3 decades and she also managed to capture the heart of hollywood's most notorious ladies' man along the way although <laughs> she has yet to snag herself a certain gentleman named oscar it's hard not to be an award-season <laughs> bridesmaid when you're up against a black swan and a million-dollar baby but don't yeah. worry, with her career mm-hmm. not slowing down, we think that it's going to be all right, kids. <laughs> so let's pull the blinds, slap ourselves silly, and have a good old fashioned psychotic suburban breakdown because we <laughs> will do this in focus today. We, we will do this, do this in focus, focus today. today.
1: Shouldn't you have consulted me first?
0: It's time to put the career of Annette Benning in focus. So we've broken down Annette Benning's career into her most defining moments and movies, and we had to decide what movie put her career on the map. And for some reason, I thought Annette Benning's career would have a lot of bigger movies in the 80s, but it actually doesn't really pick mm. up until the 90s, until yeah. 1990 with The Grifters, directed <laughs> by Stephen Frears, starring Angelica Houston. Ugh. The Queen John Cusack and of course Annette Bening here's a quick synopsis via IMDB a small-time conman has torn loyalties between his estranged mother and new girlfriend both of whom are high-stakes grifters with their own angles to play so we all watched this (laughs) I I gotta say this movie does not have a whole lot of grifting but it does have a whole lot of mommy issues. More mommy issues than a Xavier Dolan film. Let me tell you.
2: <laughs> it is very that. You you sent us a text being like, oh, I'm getting pull vibes here. And it's like, yeah, so get Oedipal ready.
0: Vibes. <laughs> yeah.
2: What okay, I'm sorry. What the fuck was this movie?
0: What the fuck was this movie? I know. This movie was nominated
1: for like four Oscars.
2: How? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. That's a hard I note know. for me. I don't understand it's this movie. I don't understand what genre it is. I thought the music was so fucking campy. It didn't jive with yeah. anything I was expecting like the pink panther to jump out of in some frame. It was comical <laughs> yeah, actually. And then but then like the content is like really dark and yeah, fucked so up. And the hair. Can we talk about the hair? The well, hair it's very
0: wig heavy. I knew Helen wouldn't be happy with how wig heavy this movie was.
2: But why were they the worst wigs that anyone has ever, ever seen? Why were they the mm. worst wigs that you pulled out of some backstage performer in a fourth tier Vegas <laughs> show and then who's left their wig in the fucking basement of their costume <laughs> room for three <laughs> yeah. years and had all the rats pick at it? Why yeah. were those the wigs?
1: I'm pretty sure Angelica Houston's wig was left for a while after this film and then reused for Alexander. For <laughs> it, was
2: barrel.
1: Same wig. it was the same wig. It was a little more bleached blonde in this, but I think over time it probably lost some of that color and then it became the Alexander wig yes (laughs) that's my theory
0: (laughs) this movie was not what I was expecting at all I thought there was going to be a lot more of actual cons but this was Oedipus Complex Central Yes, but all the mom fucking aside it's interesting because Annette Bening is about 32 here so her career Mm -hmm. is really taking off past 30 which I thought was interesting because that's generally pretty late for an actress there's hope for me still Yes, this film is a bit questionable, but Annette Benning is really good in this. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. that she was stunning. As Helen would say,
1: stunning. Stunning. Well, okay, so the first thing that I took note of with her is she's doing this breathy, high-pitched voice, which I would never associate with Annette Benning.
3: Absolutely. That is not
1: yes. the voice that I know her to have. But it's a character choice because there are moments in this film where she goes into her more grounded voice and you're like, there it is. Right. So it's it's put on for this character. Like she's she's conning, right? And that's yeah. her like conning voice, I guess. So that was immediately, I was just like, whoa, I've never seen her like this before. And I mean, we see her naked multiple times in this film and she's so hot. Yes. Well,
2: like, and what I thought was really interesting about those scenes, like there's a lot of nude scenes with her and especially one yeah. where she's like, seducing her landlord to try and get out of rent or whatever and he's absolutely hideous and awful and i just think that like in with almost any other actress that scene would feel so let me just turn away my eyes because it's so grossly exploitative but for some reason it doesn't feel that way with her i don't know like she still felt in control of that moment
0: yeah it's because annette benning is really intelligent and that really Mm. comes through and Uh. she does play this i'm dumb but not really game Mm -hmm. really really well she's so seductive she has that really breathy voice but she's cunning she is Mm -hmm. like a fox in Mm -hmm. this movie Mm -hmm. and the best part is that she is obviously conning these people and they know (laughs) it and it still doesn't matter yeah Yeah. you know she's actually that irresistible to them that they can know they're being conned and they cannot care she really works in a neo-noir film this Mm -hmm. film isn't great but she works in it she's sultry but she's also sweet and you also just picture her with a knife behind her back
2: a hundred percent and i can a
0: hundred percent see why she was nominated for best supporting actress okay edison it's time to get into the big three what is number one
2: All right, so first up on the big three is 1991's Bugsy, directed by Mm -hmm. Barry Levinson. So this film tells the story of Ben Siegel, don't call him Bugsy, unless you'd like a bullet between the eyes, the (laughs) (laughs) visionary mobster who opened the Flamingo Hotel and Casino in the 1940s, effectively birthing the Las Vegas that we know today. Harvey Keitel is in this as well. He plays notorious gangster Mickey Cohen, and then Annette Benning plays Mob Mole, Virginia Hill, who becomes Bugsy's love interest. Oh god, I just called him Bugsy. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> uh, and eventual business partner. Um This movie
0: <laughs> So you didn't like it. <laughs>
2: No, um,
0: I movie. I did like
2: it. It's just not again not what I expected. I expected a gangster movie. This is not this. This movie is like fun and weird. The tone is oh. all over the place. Warren Beatty's performance to borrow one of your favorite words, Helen, oscillates between <laughs> almost like Travolta esque campy smirking villain and. Okay. Also moments of being like genuinely terrifying. Annette Bening, again, elevates everything that she's in. Every scene that she's in, she she just elevates it. She is excellent. Mm -hmm. She's just so authoritative and perfect. And in this, she's also kind of conning right? She's a mob mall. She is like kind of conning everyone around her and but also being taken advantage of and like there's a danger of being attached to Bugsy Siegel. He's a very notorious mobster but I just thought that she was really magnificent and there's this one moment at the very end of the movie where like right up with spoiler alert the mobster dies okay <laughs> where they tell her that he was killed and the camera is on her for this and it stays on her for, I'm not, I'm not like, like it's 60 seconds and she's speechless mm. and you can mm. see it all happening. It's the most like emotionally powerful moment in the whole film and it's mm. kind of right at the end. But yeah, so she was incredible and I can definitely understand why this was like a big film for her. It's also where she met Warren Beatty.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: So yeah, she's amazing. It's worth watching for this, but it just wasn't what I expected this movie. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what's next on the big three?
0: Okay, number two is Being Julia from 2004, Mm -hmm. directed by Isfin Zabo. Honestly, for a second, I forgot that I even watched Being Julia. (laughs) 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 I texted you guys while I was watching. I was like, yeah. Being Julia is just not my go-to type of film. Yeah. Julia is this very well-respected and adored theater actress. She has become a bit bored. She's a bit jaded. Her husband, played by Jeremy Irons, becomes a bit of a snore. And she's lost her passion and her spark. And she ends up striking up a little romance with a younger man named Tom. But he turns out to be a bit of a user and an opportunist, frickin' Tom. Mm. Julia gets a bit catty and embarks on some good old-fashioned revenge. She seeks this revenge with the power of the theater.
2: <laughs>
0: ah, Annette Benning is wonderful in this. She's definitely the best part of this film.
3: Mm.
0: This felt very Oscar bait to me. Mm. It's, okay. it's, it's pretty standard. You know, there's some good performances in this, there's some beautiful set pieces, some really striking costuming. But Annette is really what is truly wonderful about this film. She's so mm. funny. She can be vulnerable, she's also very dramatic, she's a diva she has a mean streak as well which she plays really really well it's very believable this role is where an actress really gets to stretch mm. she was nominated for an Oscar for this for lead actress and once again she lost to Hilary Swank Hilary Swank had done Million Dollar Baby and Annette Benning had lost to Hilary Swank before when she did American Beauty and Hilary Swank did Boys Don't Cry. So, Mm. these two are kind of always pitted up against each other when they have really strong performances. Yeah, I feel like Annette Bening really has this Hilary Swank complex.
3: (laughs) (laughs) For sure, like
0: how does she not? It was a bit of a surprise when Annette Bening didn't win for American Beauty. You know, with being Julia, I'm not that surprised because after I watched the film, I think this came down to performance, yes, but also content. I felt that Million mm-hmm. Dollar Baby is just, it's more of a hard-hitting story.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And be, mm-hmm. being
0: Julia, it's kind of this silly and petty story. So Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I also watched this after seeing Film Stars Don't Die in, in Liverpool where she's a film mm-hmm. actress in this one. She has an affair with a younger man and I much preferred her in that role. Yeah. And I and much prefer I still need to see that. Yeah. She's really yeah. wonderful in it. So it definitely took mm. away from being Julia. But nonetheless, Annette Bening is really wonderful in this film. And it's 100% one of her big three. Okay, Helen. What's number three?
1: Number three is The Kids Are Alright from 2010, directed by mm. Lisa Cholodenko. Description courtesy of IMDb. Two children conceived by artificial insemination bring their biological father into their non-traditional family life. I saw, oh, and this is starring, obviously, Annette Benning. Julianne Moore plays her wife, and Mark Ruffalo is the biological father. Then we have Mia Wasikowski as the daughter, and Josh Hutchinson as the son, Laser. His name's Laser. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You said that with a lot of disdain. I just, that's such a stupid name. Why Oops. would you name your, your kid's Laser? Okay, so I saw this movie when it came out. I remember liking it but like not loving it and then re-watching it again for this. I don't actually think this movie's that good.
0: <laughs> There's been a lot of criticism of this movie. It was yeah, you know, when you first watch it, it's like, oh, this movie's really good. But over as the years yeah. have gone by, I
1: don't know. It honestly, it's only eleven years old, but it actually hasn't aged very well, to be honest. First of all, Annette Benning and Julianne Moore are a lesbian couple and neither one of them are gay. Maybe, you know, in 2010, that wasn't something that was being talked about so much. But definitely today, there's emphasis being put on casting queer actors in queer roles, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's that. The storyline with Mark Ruffalo's character is pretty shitty. Him and Julianne Moore have this affair. There's no redemption for his character at all. So his, his story arc is weird to me. And then there's a few comments in the film that today would never make it in. So again, it's, you know, it's a film that's not amazing, but that Annette Bening is the best part of Mm. because she is. Mm -hmm. She's fantastic in this movie. And there's a scene where she discovers that Mark Ruffalo and Julianne Moore have been having an affair and they're all eating dinner together and she comes back to the dinner table and just her body language and the look on her face as she sits there and she has this realization of what's going on is – it's just incredible acting. I love watching her in anything, mm-hmm. really.
0: You know, it's interesting because a common thing that we're discussing is the fact that Annette Benning is actually better than these movies. Yeah. yeah. I think that where all the stars aligned was really American Beauty. Yes. And yes, yeah. we didn't include this in the big three just because we've talked about this movie on the podcast so extensively. And we wanted to explore her in other films. I think that she will win an Oscar one day, but I think that her performance so. has to also be in a movie that's of her caliber. Mm. Yes. And I think mm. the stars did really align with American Beauty, but that yeah. obviously just wasn't her year. Yeah.
2: It is a really, really indelible performance.
1: Okay, Sinclair. Wow, you're just really knocking him back tonight. I know. I'm sorry. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: drinking a lot of wine, listeners. Okay. Okay.
1: I, I'm just jealous because I haven't had a drink in 19 days, so...
0: Yeah, Helen's God. doing quote-unquote dry January, whatever that means.
1: Well, well, I am. It's not like allegedly. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
1: but also, why? We're in a pandemic. Like, why? Just drink that bottle of wine. No, now because now when I have it, it's going to taste so good. I'm going to deserve it, you know? Anyway... <laughs> Alright, Sinclair, I'm very interested to see what uh, you picked as Annette Benning's hidden gem. Thank you. I'm glad <laughs> you're really interested. I, I am. <laughs> that makes me feel good.
0: Okay, so I actually chose In Dreams from nineteen ninety nine. Oh Jesus. Don't oh Jesus me. Okay, I've recommended this movie to you, Edison, so many times and you've never watched it. So wait,
2: what? No, I have seen this movie.
0: <laughs> I have recommended this so many times. You've never watched it. You've always watched something different. I do not believe you've seen this movie. I did. Okay. I don't believe you. I'm going to start talking about it and let's see if you've actually seen it. Prove yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the serial killer in this movie In in dreams? You tell me.
2: Robert Downey Jr.
0: Oh, fuck. Okay. That is true. <laughs> okay. wow <laughs> wow. Well, well, well. I feel like you're looking it up on your computer right now, though. So I can't fully be... I'm not. Sure. Anyway, yeah, so this movie is In Dreams. It's directed by Neil Jordan. And funny enough, my hidden gem last week was also a film by Neil Jordan. So I seem to be on a big Neil Jordan kick right now. Here's a quick synopsis via IMDb. A suburban housewife learns that she has a dream world connection to a serial murderer and must stop Hmm. him from killing again. I was obsessed with this movie in 1999. My friends and I watched this all the time, like too many times. I <laughs> loved it. I thought this movie was so creepy. So I gave it a rewatch this week and I don't care. I still love it. <laughs> but it is definitely, noticeably not that great.
3: <laughs> when you watch
0: it now, for sure. These over-the-top serial killer visually striking psychological thrillers from the 90s they weren't that great but that's what makes them so amazing yeah and this falls into that category annette benning is connected to this serial killer played by robert downey jr and they are sharing his dreams and his memories she's also having premonitions of his murders Nothing really makes sense in this movie (laughs) at all at the end of the day. Yeah, there's a lot of plot holes, but I think that it's such a good watch. And Annette Bening is so great in this movie. She's perfect. It's also very visually striking. It's the same cinematographer that shot seven. Oh, cool. I love this. Uh, this was critically panned <laughs> when it came out, and I don't care. Middle finger in the air. <laughs> Roger Ebert wrote, quote, this is a well-made bad movie, end quote, hmm. but I don't care. Do you, do you agree with that? I agree with that, but I do not care. I think that... <laughs> This is a great movie. You should watch it. Do not take it too seriously. Just enjoy it for what it is. And it is such a good watch. I don't know. I mean, I loved this. Watch in Dreams from 1999. Okay. Edison, what is Annette Benning's pop culture moment?
2: Well, okay. So Annette Benning is... It keeps a very low profile, right? She is not a heat score. She is not the type to, like, try and get any sort of attention, paparazzi. There's no scandal around Annette Bening. That is not Mm -hmm. her style. But she does have two kind of major pop culture moments. One, we've already discussed, right? And that's her always the bridesmaid, never the bride relationship with Oscar. And then the other is her marriage to Warren Beatty. They got married in 1992, They have four children together. It is a 28-year-long marriage, which is 18 lifetimes in Hollywood. Yeah. The reason why this was such a thing was because Warren Beatty is one of the most famous womanizers in Hollywood history. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. His... (laughs) list like literally is everyone from Cher, Joan <laughs> Collins, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, Elle McPherson, Madonna, Marilyn Monroe, Vanessa Redgrave, Diana Ross, Barbara Streisand like wow e- 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 the man has been about town do you know what I mean <laughs> and <laughs> even one of my favorite quotes I was reading there's this amazing Vanity Fair profile on him and the famous playwright Noel Coward was talking about it and said to him one time dear boy have you ever tried homosexuality and he (laughs) responded no I have my hands full at the moment
3: (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) ever the
2: diplomat but yeah Yeah. so it was always like no and Warren Beatty was 54 I believe at the time as well so Hmm. like Clooney this kind of forever Mm -hmm. bachelor who's gonna hold him down Annette Bening was the one to do it By all accounts, they have a very kind of successful marriage. No drama. There's never any sort of scandal or or like even rumors or anything about their marriage at all. Mm -hmm. It adds this weird sense of mystery. Yeah. So I don't know. I think that's probably her other kind of big thing, right?
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Wow. It must be nice to be a man who's 54 who can still have four kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, oh, women can't do that. <laughs>
0: nope. Just a daily reminder, Helen, that our yeah. clock is ticking. It's a ticking. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Tick tock, <laughs> motherfucker. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: Helen, what's up and coming?
1: All right. couple projects up and coming for Annette. She is in Death on the Nile. Yes. Oh, motherfucked!
2: I can't <laughs> wait. Uh, another film that sh- you think she'll elevate?
0: I can wait. I think she'll be the best part of this movie for sure. I am not <laughs> yeah. looking
1: forward to this. So yeah, Sinclair was not a huge fan of Murder on the Orient Express, the most recent version of it. She loves the original. Thank you, Helen. And listen, listeners, if you want to hear her talk about that, Why don't you become a Patreon member and go back and uh, listen to season one? Yes, become a Patreon
0: member and listen to me shit on the remake of The Murder of the Orient Express.
2: Oh my God, was that season one?
0: Yeah, it was like our third episode or something.
1: Wow. Mm -hmm.
0: Yes, I'm so sorry that Annette has been roped into this circle (laughs) jerk of celebrity oh stop
2: it this This movie's gonna be so fun and amazing (laughs) and she's gonna be wonderful i cannot wait what else helen
1: same now this is one we've mentioned before Because we did an In Focus on Michelle Pfeiffer. This film is called Mm. Turn of Mind. A retired surgeon suffering from Alzheimer's becomes a suspect in her friend's murder. So Annette Mm. Bening is the surgeon and Michelle Pfeiffer is the friend. Mm. And I can't wait to see those two powerhouse women together. Yeah.
0: Okay, guys, there's only one way to end this In Focus, Annette Benning, and that's by playing a fun little game of marry, fuck, kill with her <laughs> very wonderful filmography. So, Edison, why don't you start us off? What film do you want to marry?
2: I'm going to marry 20th century women.
0: Mm, i love that one
2: this is just a really 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 wonderful film
0: mm-hmm. i
2: loved it i remember watching it and just feeling so like oh god this is such wonderful human stories mm-hmm. and again she's magnificent in it as always mm-hmm. like i just thought this was a pretty much a perfect movie i loved it so i would very happily marry it yeah
0: Yes, funny story about this movie that I need to say is that Helen and I saw this movie together and we were so excited to see this and we ended up having to sit in the very front row
1: yeah. <laughs> at the theater.
0: And our necks were so strained. And we remember like really loving the movie, but also it was just so close up. Like I was just staring at just people's necks
1: yeah. the whole time
0: <laughs> that I ended up having to watch it again. And I was like, man, this is a really great movie. And I'm so happy to see people's faces from further back. <laughs>
1: Okay, yes. thank you so much for reminding me of that because, I mean, I I will say this is also my Mary, and I'm actually so glad you reminded me of that experience because, in my mind, I'm like, I know this is a good movie, I know I've seen it. Why do I have a negative association with it? And that's why. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's yeah. it. So I should watch it again. But it's yes, so never...
0: good upon rewatch.
1: So okay, good. great. I will. Yeah. I'll give it a rewatch, uh, and I am marrying it. What is your Mary Sinclair?
0: My Mary is film stars don't die in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Because who doesn't want to age as beautifully as Annette Bening? Seriously. And Honestly. also have a love affair with hot young Jamie Bell.
2: Mm. Yeah. Jamie Bell is so hot.
0: So hot. Yeah. I mean, she is dying in this movie, which <laughs> isn't ideal. So maybe I'll just take that part out.
3: <laughs>
0: but <laughs> Not other <ideal>. than that... <laughs> I hope to look as beautiful as Annette Penny at yeah. that age. Yeah. You will. Yeah, she's lovely. Thanks, Edison.
1: <laughs> I don't know. She doesn't use eye cream.
0: I don't use eye cream. So. Oh, no. I, I <laughs> retract my
2: statement.
1: <laughs> I should start.
0: <laughs> all right, Edison. What movie do you want to fuck?
2: Well, I'm going to fuck American Beauty. It's an interesting one to fuck, I think, because it, like it is a sexy mm. film, but it's all about sexual repression. But there's still this... like weird carnal energy that infuses this entire film. Mm -hmm. So I do find it really sexy. So yeah, this would be like a fuck because y'all get to let loose and get those repressions out and, you know, Mm. go for it. Yeah. How about you, Helen?
1: Okay, I'm actually going to fuck The Kids Are all right despite thinking this film isn't great. It is sexy. And Mark Ruffalo is actually super hot in this film. Uh, His character is not well-written enough, but... He's very attractive. And I just generally want more Mark Ruffalo in my life. I think he's such a good actor. What are you fucking, Sinclair?
0: I'm going to fuck 20th century women. Oh, cool. Because of Billy Crudup. Mm. I have such a thing for Billy Crudup right now because Mm. of the morning show. Yeah, I watched yeah. the morning show and I was like, oh man, I love Billy Crudup. It's also a wonderful movie, so yeah, 20th century women. Okay, Edison, what? Oh this is <laughs> this might be hard. What do you want to kill?
2: Uh, this is hard actually because going through her filmography, it's tough because she's great in everything and we you know, yes, sometimes she's better than the films that she's in but she doesn't really do bad films. Like, ever. Um, mm-hmm. But so I think I'm going to kill the grifters because, honestly, I <laughs> like this movie. That's and fine. I was also like, what the fuck is this movie? Nah. And I, we don't yeah. need all that Oedipus shit. Kill it.
1: <laughs> yeah. No.
2: Yeah, kill it. How about you,
0: Helen?
1: I'm killing a movie called Ruby Sparks. No. Um, oh. Yeah, no, I don't like that movie.
0: I remember liking this movie.
1: Well, okay. It's written by Zoe Kazan and stars her and Paul Dano, who are a couple in real life. And it kind of just feels really masturbatory to me. I didn't think that the script was that good. And I thought, okay, well, the only reason that the script is made is because she's Zoe Kazan. This isn't a good enough film to have gotten to this point, And it feels like nepotism. Maybe I'm just bitter and judgmental. I don't know. But I didn't <laughs> like it.
2: Well, speaking of Paul Dano, tune in next week as we feature him <laughs> for our In Focus. I know. do <laughs> In
1: Focus, Paul Dano. Where Helen yeah. can kill
2: this film again.
1: Again, no. <laughs> well, but this is the problem is like there actually aren't that many films on her filmography that I want to kill. No, so seriously, yeah. in other circumstances, such as next week, I probably will not kill Ruby Sparks, but I had to go with it this week. Yeah. Slim, it was Slim, Slim Pickens. Okay. What are you uh, killing, Sinclair
0: well i also really struggled with this
1: and Mm -hmm. i'm just
0: gonna go with a movie that i didn't even watch but it feels like something that i can just kill and it's called what planet are you from
1: oh sure it's a
0: comedy starring gary shandling i never watched it i feel like it didn't make that much impact i
2: never watched it either so
1: i i mean why not Bye bye well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie To Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Movie To Me. Tweet at us at DMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes. Our website is talkmovietomepodcast.com. And please become a Patreon member. Patreon.com slash Talk Movie To Me. I'm Helen. <laughs> I'm Miss Sinclair,
2: and I'm Edison. You will become a Patreon <laughs> member today.
1: Today, you
2: become a Patreon, <laughs> member, Patreon today. member today. Today. <laughs> <laughs>